All right, guys, before we get started, I want to talk really quick about our sponsor, and that's Patch Chunky Shop. Uh, Patch Chunky Shop is an Etsy shop that specializes in uniquely designed patches. Their stock includes everything from military-style morale patches to designs that reference popular culture. They also sell patch-related stuff like patch mats and patch bags that you can stick your patches to. So if you get a chance, go to their website. It's www.patchjunkyshop.com and use the promo code SALUMIS for 10% off of your order. Once again, that's S-A-L-U-M-I-S-T and instantly get 10% off. Um, I want to also talk about Skype. That is who we've been using as of late to do these podcast episodes uh, because we want to exercise caution and really pay respect to the social distancing and the different types of uh, rules and regulations that are going out there right now. Uh, we chose to use Skype to hold a lot of our episodes so Skype isn't the only platform out there that will allow you to do this kind of stuff. So if you have anything like Google Hangouts, if you have Zoom, uh, tons of other platforms out there that will allow you to connect with other people and really get whatever message that you have out there. Or if you just want to connect with any of your friends and loved ones, there's tons of platforms out there. But if you want a good example of one, Skype is what we've been using, and I highly recommend that. All right, let's get into the show. All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of the Salumas podcast. It's Monday, August 17th, and we've got what I hope will be something that'll make you think. But to get there, we have to answer a few questions. Have you ever had someone take you out into the deep end, into a deep sea of emotion, attraction and desire that gives you an intoxicating yet euphoric feeling? Have you ever been driven to a point of desire where you literally are controlled by chemistry, where your brain is drunk from the pleasure cocktail of dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, and endorphins, and you literally lose sight of what is rational? It's wild, it's fast, it's hot, it's short-lived, but it feels fucking good until the high goes away and you find yourself back down to earth, wanting that next high like some kind of an addict. What did you call that feeling? Some of us will call it love, but after some time, some of us will call it infatuation. And in this episode, we try to compare and make sense of love versus infatuation. We use both personal and external examples, and we do our best to show that both have a place in our lives and both are important experiences to have. But at the end of it all, we come to some really great conclusions, and I hope that what we talk about in this episode will give you some good advice and some good direction moving forward because I believe that it did that for me. So sit back, relax, and enjoy episode 885, Love, Lust, Loss, and the Lesson. different types of movies um where it's like it borders on like some psycho shit you know what i mean well and it's uh that's the western the western development of agape or however mm-hmm. you say it uh, uh a-g-a-p-e yeah and, and that that's that's what they're talking about and that, that that romantic um sort of love that came out of the uh out of europe however many centuries ago is what Romeo and Juliet is sort of based in. And that's the same sort of uh, love that we have here in uh, the United States, probably the most successful protraction of Western 
ideology and, you know, evolved a bit and progressed a bit. So I, I think it's just from that lens that that type of love um, is said to be the ultimate. I agree with it, but it's just uh, for the Western culture, I think that that applies to. Because if you've ever watched a lot of anime or even like Korean dramas or something, like you'll be, you, it, it will trip you out how long it takes for someone to get kissed on the cheek. Yes. Because they have a totally different, like selfless, sort of idea or, or selfless in that it's not polite or customary to express your own s- selfish, sensual, uh, <clears throat> sensual perspective in a, <clears throat> excuse me, in a person to person interaction, like it's considered rude. So mm-hmm. they, you know, the guy's feeling some way about the girl and it takes the whole damn season you know, or sometimes it's the whole arc. It's just yeah. for him to express that um, how he's feeling. So I think I think the, we, it's easy to, to forget that when you get, you know, uh, love from a Western a Western lens. And then there is uh, I, I got plenty of friends and coworkers that are, you know, getting married this summer. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, I got to go back home to India and get married. Like it's like that. Jeez, it's set up for them, and uh, we think that's horrible. But as I get older, I start to have even more respect for it because, man, they've got the political and practical side solved, which is what sustains you. Yeah, you can actually grow to love somebody if they're not a horrible person. You can, you'll be all right. We start off the other way around from yeah. the neck, the neck down. You know, we got to first be like into the person, attracted to the person, and they gotta, you know, make us have fun or something like that, and then. We start, uh, you know, we start thinking of, um, we start working on the actual hard part of the relationship, the political yeah. part, sustaining it, you know, where they are, uh, my friend, um, my, my teammate right now, she's like, oh man, I'm glad, I'm glad Corona happened. <laughs> she's like, I was, the, she's I was like, having fun. Yeah, she's like, I, I was, now she's got to go back uh, home to be, get married and this whole ceremony and thing. It's just like, well, it's just time to do that. You know, yeah. she's the age, whatever, 25, 30 or whatever it is. And I thought, man, that's so different because she's like, uh, but not the way we are. It's not like over here. We would, we would go crazy if, mm-hmm. if that was like a normal thing for average American kids to have your, your marriage pre-planned and arranged for you uh, such that it benefits the tribe to the maximum, you know, um, so, yeah, I think it's a certainly a Western thing. I don't know if it's the ultimate sure. form of love everywhere. But well, then let's let's address it from the from the perspective that the majority of our listeners come from. That's obviously going to be the Western perspective. Um, why is it that there are, there are people that seem to confuse infatuation with love and why is it that like that in infatuation sort of seems way more entertaining and fun than than the love and I, and what i think is because i guess the the way that my mind works that you do attach work to uh work and responsibility and so many other and i'm doing my air quotes right now grown up concepts to love and where infatuation doesn't seem so, 
And truthfully, no one just, no one really wants to do, well, people want to do grown up shit, but like, it's, uh, it's kind of when it's on their terms. And I don't think love works that way. Yeah, no, I don't think so either, but I, I don't think we're, we're, um, exposed to that at, at all, unless you get it just from your family household upbringing and, and whatever culture, culture you have there in your household. But, um, everything's really individualistic for us. So in America growing up. And so even love is sort of a, a thing that you want for yourself. You have an idea of your, your wife and your marriage and your lifestyle and mm-hmm. what your household will be like. And those things aren't, aren't really from the perspective of anyone, but yourself, you really, yeah. really kind of want to be married to a beautiful, you know, fun loving person that you can have, a great time with for the next whatever 40 50 years but it, we don't we're not really prepared trained on how most of that kind of goes away 10 or 15 years in and then that's you've interesting got, that you said that we're, we're not we're not like raised or prepared for that but that's super normal and, and if you're lucky you got a well-adjusted enough person that you can make you can make it through that transition but I don't see a single thing in our upbringing, whether it be in the media we consume or how we're taught in elementary school that prepares us for that, that part of a, of an extended relationship. And so love <clears throat> for me is, is all, all of the activity that's selfish, but contributes to something bigger than the, the individual parts that you otherwise couldn't accomplish. So uh, that's a kind of abstract way of saying it, but it's not really that abstract. It's just you make this new thing and um, it's called a relationship and, and you, you both sacrifice to grow that thing like, uh, like watering a plant or something, but the water comes out of your body. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you gotta, you gotta be really uh, prepared to do that and get fulfillment out of the new thing you're creating um, the relationship or, or else it won't feel like, a good time at all. So I think you can be prepared to, to experience that the same way you you don't, you can be prepared to not like sweets. I yeah. know plenty of kids that were not given a lot of sweets when they're kids and they get older, they don't have sugar problems. They kind of don't mm-hmm. like chocolate and, and snacks and stuff. I think we can do the same thing, but um, from the perspective of most people in America, that that's what I would say. Uh, you know, what's something that's interesting there, what you had just said about, the idea of sweets and all that kind of stuff being trained, if you will, or or brought up in a way where it's like, it's not that important. Would you say that that same thing kind of applies to love and relationships to people who might've had both parents in the household who sort of went through that transition where they became, you know, they got older and they didn't do the same stuff that they used to, but there was, it, it just evolved in a different way. And the kids saw that. Well, state that. I don't understand what you mean. Okay. So you know how, if you're not, if you're not exposed to a bunch of sweets and junk food and all that kind of stuff, you're not going to have a huge affinity for it. And you'll have an understanding of the pros and cons, if you will, of it. Right. Yep. But so to apply that onto the relationship end or the love end, if you grew up in a place where, where, what you saw was an evolving relationship that was still positive example, having both parents there and seeing their relationship like morph and change and all that kind of stuff. But somehow 
being able to see that they still love each other, at least on the surface. You know what I mean? Obviously, everyone starts to find shit out when they get older. But like when you are exposed to that, do you think that it makes it easier for people to adjust to the changes that happens in their relationships? Like they understand going in like, yeah, this is, you know, we're having all sorts of fun. We're doing all this crazy fun shit. But like we're eventually going to change and and, and go in, in our in our different directions. But there's still going to be some sort of same trajectory, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I see it all the time. I see it in friends I grew up with that had two parents and a little bit more well adjusted. And there are some some sort of fancy, I guess, talking points. There's a there's a few behaviors or or, or circumstances you witness that are that make make a pronounced uh, representation of that different or more well-adjusted possibility. And one of them is you will find that those people choose their partners differently. You know what I yeah. mean? You yeah. Yeah. That like, totally like, makes sense. Like, like the, like I always say to my nephews or to the men in my family, if they call and they're talking to me and I was like, man, you know, you want my um, advice. Something yeah. I noticed is that, uh, the lady that's the most exciting is not always going to be the wife. You know what I mean? Yeah. The the wife may not be the same girl that you're attracted to. If you're out partying or clubbing or something like that. And of course you hear that said in the, in the opposite direction, very obviously you don't, Mm -hmm. you don't marry someone you meet out at the, at the bar, but it's more than that too. Mm -hmm. If you are, if your criteria, and it's always a short list, it's only five or six things, less than 10 things. If your criteria includes those aspects, then you, you don't have the right criteria to begin with. Cause it don't take a whole lot. Like I was talking to my real estate guy and he was just like, man, you're, you're, uh, you're, you're ex or whatever. Uh, she works like, man, just like, man, that's a keeper, man. She doesn't mind working. And I was like, God, like what kind of, women or guys running into like is it normal to bring your wife to not want to work or something but his set his set of values was different from mine he was like all I wish is just that just my ex would just have worked because now he's remarried and he's happy and stuff but he just Mm -hmm. he talked about how much of struggle it was because he had to bring in a whole lot because she just thought she was supposed to chill and be at home and stuff and that was her value and I was like Mm -hmm. wow and I'm sitting here complaining about this other thing Mm-hmm. This other set of things. And he's like, dude, that's nothing to work. Like, I wouldn't worry about that. She doesn't mind working like two people working can can accomplish anything. He yes. was so he was so serious about that. And I was like, hmm, that's interesting. So, you know, you encounter that from from time to time in different in different um, circumstances. But I think, yeah, for sure. Uh, we got lots of examples of people who. At an early age, and I mean, it's probably single digits. Yeah. When you develop that, you probably, you pretty much got, it's in you, it's embedded in you, what you're going to be, what's going to satisfy you and what you want, tolerate and stuff. Have you ever been in a situation where looking back, you realize that you were infatuated? Oh yeah. Yeah. A couple of times. Yeah. Can you talk about one of them? You don't have to use yeah. names, of course. Yeah. Yeah. I had a person that was, uh, um, a childhood friend that just moved away and didn't see all through growing up and then came back around. So someone that was a childhood friend, like first or second grade, just an insanely beautiful, very creative and artistic and uh, very well liked, a popular person and came from a family that was like that too. Mm-hmm. And her brother was uh, was my brother's best friend when they were kids. Mm-hmm. 
And then, so um, I grow up and she grew up somewhere else, maybe a few states over something. I don't know where they grew up, but they came back around. The family did um, a little bit after high school. So in my early 20s. So I was getting to know her again. And, you know, they were their Their family was friends of my family. Try not to say names, but like. Um, yeah, and I, I and I thought she was so cool because she was kind of eccentric and extreme like an uh, artist. Like it's very rare mm-hmm. for someone to be in the twenties. She literally that was how she made a living. And um um and yeah, I just it it's happened to me a few times, but in this one particular case, it took a while for me to to be like embarrassed by myself, you know, to see that I I yeah. sort of um romanticized that that individual and she just wasn't shit like really like like, like and i had it took me a while to like you know i got i ain't better than nobody but it's certain things like i won't tolerate from mm-hmm. women. and you don't realize it till someone that knows you better than you know yourself like your mother points it out to you i've had my mother say that to, to me before she's like oh mark you like classy women she said like, that's mm. your problem you like classy i was like huh, i never thought about that and it's not about pretty or or how pretty or not pretty they are but like a woman that I will date will never have wear sweatpants. I didn't think <laughs> really? about it. Yeah, I didn't think about it, but <laughs> I, I have never dated a woman that has ever put her body inside sweatpants. That's so it's so like weird. a certain thing. Yeah, it's a certain thing like that. Yeah. I wouldn't. And my mom just said that to me casually, whatever, because I was frustrated and I was talking to her about it. And she was like, yeah, I didn't see seen that girl come over here a couple of times in sweats and whatever. She just said, yeah, ain't she ain't. She ain't gonna be like, you ain't gonna like her, Marky D. I was like, what? I didn't think about that. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't picture that, but it was always this frustration that she just wasn't the person I wanted her to be. But I thought she was so enigmatic and beautiful. But after a while, it just started to wear down and wear down. But that was an infatuation, you know? And yeah. it's just the person that she was, it's not a bad person or nothing, yeah. but it just wasn't the kind of person that I would respect a few minutes later. Like, I would like be like, ugh. Like you just like, really? oh, yeah, because the people she would associate with and and she liked to smoke weed. And that was OK. I mean, Dana liked weed, but she's the classiest girl ever. But like this girl was just different, man. And we grew up since we were children and she just had that kind of like, um, I don't know. I'm trying to say all that without saying like talking about the person like I'm not judging her. I really just these are just things that I noticed that somehow I was ignoring and I found yeah. that really interesting. And the, as an older guy, you know, you can be talking to a 25 year old and soon in five minutes, you're like, Oh God, I'm out of here. You yeah. know, just cause yeah. of how, how much of a moron they might be. But, um, I didn't then. And the infatuation sort of hit all that for like maybe the better part of a summer. Damn. Yeah. That's, you know, and one of the things that you said on there actually, um, I think sets the difference between love and infatuation is that there is a, and I, I know I'm going to sound so cheese ball with this, but there is a sort of beginning and end to that. There, it seems like infatuation is, is on a timeline kind of, and it like, if you have any sort of awareness of yourself, you'll real, you'll realize the beginning and end of it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I feel like I I've been there before where there was a person where it's like, oh, wow. Like you think in your head, like, holy shit, they check all these boxes. They are beautiful, smart, blah, 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 blah. You sit there and go through all these things. And it's like, 
they're intoxicating. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. like in it, and it sort of takes you off of your, off of your game, if you will, where you do things that are so different from, from where you normally be. And that's not to say that I'm not saying that you should only stay static or something like that, but there are certain things where it's like, wow, this doesn't seem normal. And then when you sort of have, um, some hindsight, you're able to look at it after a second. You're like, holy shit, like maybe that wasn't the thing I should have been doing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and you tend to reject common sense things that, that otherwise would, would keep you on a, uh, better path or something like that. And so I wanted to, um, I wanted to talk more about that, like that, that sort of intoxicating feeling. Can you, can you dive deeper into what that part is like? Like, did, did it set you so far off your game where you're like, why can't I get this person out of my head? Why can't I shake these feelings? Well, not since I was a kid, like since I've been about 25 or older, mm-hmm. it's not been, it's not been that, that extreme, but it was in my, you know, high school, high school years, definitely in high school and younger. I mean, ever since I was in third grade, I, I was fucking, I would have like, I'd be girl, I was girl crazy, you know? Yeah. And, um, and I remember spending too much time worrying about like how to be close to some young girl that went to elementary school or something. I wanted to hang out and be around her or something like that. I really wasn't thinking sexually. Yeah. I, was too, I was too young for that, but I still had a, an infatuation, uh, if you want to call it that. And um, I think it was the same thing. It was appetite due to value systems. Yeah. I only had an appetite for that because I didn't have the, I didn't have the right values. You know, I had too many summers. I remember my friends hanging out with my friends and my friends would like, we had half a day left to play and run and climb trees or whatever we're going to do. And, and, and them stopping and going home early to rest up because they had a baseball game the next day. Mm-hmm. And I just think that was so weird. I was like, what do you, what the heck is rest up? What I mean is like, I never had the value instilled in me to prepare for tomorrow like that. It was always just a feast or famine growing up, you know? Yeah. So when I had a chance to indulge or, play and that's what I would be doing. I think that translates to how you approach your, your, um, your appetite for, for love and stuff. If you've got, if you've got a value system that creates gratification by doing practical and sustainable things, those things, um, feel different. They taste different than, than lust or infatuation. And so what happens is you'll end up not you end up not being drawn to that sort of scenario. I don't know if you've ever pursued a young lady that just wasn't into you. Yeah. But just yeah. had a totally different value system. One of my, I don't want to say closest friends, but like one of my good acquaintances um, is like that. Our friendship is made off of the fact that she's just so different. She's a country girl raised in church a whole lot and just will never give me the time of day. But that made me even more obsessive about her. But yeah. um, what, it, what it showed, what it showed me was, and we're good friends to this day. She was just stopped by a little while ago. But, uh, it, what, what it ended up teaching me was that, man, you know, what values and appetites are instilled in you can make a huge difference on, you know, you know, what, what you will tolerate and what you'll be attracted to. So like, yeah, that totally makes sense. 
I've, I've felt that way, you know, mm-hmm. where I couldn't stop thinking about somebody, but I've also seen where someone I've seen the inverse of that in other people too. And so I know that it's a, it's a thing that can, it's a spectrum that can be, uh, instilled in you at a young age because uh this young lady is just fucking beautiful and um and just but just not really don't really think about herself like that she's just not interested in that she's like yeah "Yeah, if you want to have four or five kids and get married then i'm yours otherwise because that's what she's interested in and she's like she said that to me recently like Mm -hmm. just a few months ago but um that just different appetite like it's just like someone that doesn't like cinnamon or something like that's how mm-hmm. i think of it and uh i don't know if that answered your question i don't remember what well yeah mean. i mean i think it uh i think it definitely does and and before i go on i want to say that uh our, our boy chris just jumped in chris you doing okay yeah man i'm doing all right i'm i'm still in recovery mode after that gauntlet of driving 20 hours to go pick up a puppy and yeah throwing my whole schedule off but i'm i think i'm back on track again my macros and nutrition and sleep and everything been screwed up it's all screwed up yeah well well we were just talking about the differences between uh love and infatuation and uh we're kind of going back and forth on stuff and so one of the things that i actually wanted to bring up is i did find like this comparison chart and it was actually pretty interesting because one of the things that it labeled is that it labeled symptoms right and I think that some of it is kind of fucking cheese ball. But uh, um, one of the things, is, especially with infatuation, and this really stood out, is the, the word urgency. Like you, I, I've certainly been infatuated before and there was this sense of urgency, like I need them. Do you know what I mean? And it was so weird, like needing to talk to them or needing to reach out or something like that. And like. The other things that it says that it's like urgency, intensity, sexual desire, anxiety, high risk choices, reckless abandonment of what uh, of what was once valued. I think that is something that certainly happens in infatuation. But I think that in a lot of media and stuff like that, people will confuse that with love. And it says for love. And this is the part where I'm just like oh, a little cheese ball, but whatever. Uh, but it's true. Honestly, it says like faithfulness, loyalty, confidence. Willingness to make sacrifice for the other, working at setting differences or settling differences, able to compromise so that either both win or at least uh, uh, give the other person's opinion a chance. Um, I think that those are two stark differences between things like love and infatuation. But before we go forward, Chris, I want to I want to know, have you ever you know, we've all talked about love or being in love or anything like that. But, Chris, have you ever had a feeling where you've been infatuated with someone? Um. Well, generally speaking, and by definition, I I guess you've already gone over it, that infatuation by definition is short lived. And it's interesting you said that because I said earlier that it follows the timeline and it it has a beginning and end that that tends to be kind of quick. Yeah, it's a by definition, it's an intense but short lived passion or admiration for someone or something. Um, I'll be honest. my my most profound anything that I could compare to infatuation seems to be kind of ex post facto to, um, you know, what would conventionally be considered love or a growing relationship. I don't that stuff doesn't happen to me on the top end. I have to mm-hmm. kind of get once I get to know somebody, I start letting 
you know, walls down, um, figuring out, you know, different elements of somebody's personality, whatever. Then, then I start allowing myself to feel that, you know, passion, admiration, whatever. Uh, but the, but the thing is, is, uh, I've worked so hard, especially in my adult life. Um, and especially since we've been doing this podcast on creating that, that dichotomy between, um, you know, what would be considered an infatuation, which I think inherently has an objectification element to it or -hmm. putting someone on a pedestal type shit without having the fundamentals associated with it. The dichotomy between that and appreciating, um, and, you know, assigning all those values, like you, you said, like loyalty and, and, uh, and candor and appreciation, like meaningful connection and stuff like that, mm-hmm. that it's kind of like leaving, leaving the flower unplucked, that kind of stuff. Yeah. You know, we've, t- we've talked about fish love that, that video that's on YouTube quite mm-hmm. a bit. Um, but I will say, I can't really think of a time ever in, even in my, you know, teenage years or, beyond that where I could really consider it inf- infatuation. It, it's usually come out of a friendship or it's come out of an, you know, a romantic relationship where I allow myself to feel those, the drug, the mm-hmm. drug element of it, the chemical element of oh, it. It's a drug, bro. Yes. Yeah. That, that the, what we, what we consider infatuation it really. And, and again, if we're looking at infatuation versus love, I don't think they're mutually exclusive. I think that since we're humans, we'd like to categorize shit. Mm-hmm. Um, and for the sake of argument, it makes it a lot easier for us to categorize these things. But I, I really feel like that the infatuation element, um, if we were to remove the the qualifier of time period, everything else that's associated with infatuation is somewhat somewhat a necessary and natural part of what would be a process for a meaningful relationship. It's not one or the other, you know. Mm-hmm. So I, I think when once you encounter that chemical element, it's your responsibility, just like with any other chemical, yeah. alcohol, you know if you take drugs, whatever, recreationally, you have to understand, you know, if you're, if you're drinking alcohol, you love the way alcohol makes you feel. Yes. If you, if you don't have perspective associated with that self-control objectivity, then the alcohol is going to take over. It's going to skew your perspective on everything. Yes. Like, like you said, with infatuation, um, conventionally infatuation makes people behave in ways they normally wouldn't um, compromise elements of what intrinsically makes them who they are. Mm-hmm. But the, but the interesting element to that again is in my experience, that shit comes later on and that shit comes as a result, not of this, uh, this cloudy chemical element that's in my brain. It's making me be like, Oh my God, you know, I'm putting somebody on a pedestal. Yeah. That is, that's an eliciting thing that accompanies everything else. But logic objectivity is what leads me to be like, okay, am I going to prioritize this individual over, over 
this element of my life, something that independent of anybody else, I consider to be very important. You know, but, one of one thing that you actually said right there. Okay. And, and I want to, I want to jump in before I, I lose it. When you had made that connection to a drug or to alcohol or anything like that, the, the one thing that, that feeds into that addiction or that makes it an addiction or that makes it a problem is that feeling afterwards when the alcohol like wears off withdrawals withdrawal you feel like and you and you know we've we've had talks with with people who have suffered from addiction when you don't have that drug you're fucking empty do you know what i mean it's such a huge part of your fucking brain like an entire portion of your brain is dedicated to that individual and and therefore it's internal and it becomes your reality I mean, yes. it's very much a reality, yeah, but, man. but I mean, it, again, I, I can't help but look at the terms infatuation and the terms love and even just the term love. If we, if we put infatuation on the back burner and we just look at the term love, there are a litany of different definitions of what love is and it's highly subjective and each person's version of love is going to have its own specific thumbprint. And I, uh, you know, what works for some people, like you can have a couple that has a very low EQ, mm-hmm. but, but they have, they have found ways to logically assign appreciation and value and attachment and loyalty and stuff to one another. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in reality, people with very high EQs are much more at risk for creating a house of fucking cards of a relationship. To be quite, to be quite honest with you, because that drug is running the fucking show. And we've talked about chasing profundity and the, and the dangers of chasing profundity. When you feel that, that inexplicable feeling that this person gives you and you know, out of the last half a dozen people that you've spent any meaningful amount of time with, you've developed a friendship with, you've had a physical relationship with them. Mm-hmm. Out of the half dozen people that you kicked it with, only this person makes you feel that way. Yeah. It's a precarious fucking thing because again, it's like, it's profundity. It's us, it's us, again, it's allowing the drug to dictate our behavior to a certain degree. And it also makes us kind of cast cast caution to the wind and be like, yes. Oh, dude. Oh, maybe magic does fucking exist. Yeah. So the funny thing that, that, that you just said, and I was literally reading through this list, it says, um, it says it's an all consuming euphoria, similar to recreational drug use. And then it has in parentheses, you know, addictive chemical reactions in the brain. So it's like stupidity, what they all, or as it's called cupidity, um, can risk and and it says that you can risk everything for the next hit of adrenaline. I've been there before, dude. Like I've totally been there before. And it's like, holy shit, man, this is what infatuation kind of looks like. And dude, I'd be lying if I said it wasn't fun as fuck. You know what I'm saying? Well, it's just like any other drug. It's a cocktail, dude. Dude, it's a huge cocktail. It's a beautiful, smart, like everything cocktail. Well, it's got, it's got oxytocin serotonin and dopamine you've got three of the neurotransmitters that are most closely related to good feelings or are you know drugs so to speak Mm -hmm. you know it's not like you generally pop a pill that makes your oxytocin levels go flying through the fucking roof but Mm -hmm. um but yeah when you have i mean everything that we do even drugs that we take 
if you were to take, um, we'll say ecstasy, MDMA, MDMA runs off of serotonin. It manipulates serotonin. It depletes serotonin. It just mows through it. And that's what makes you feel so good. It just taps into that shit and it just flows. Um, whenever you're infatuated or you're in that honeymoon phase or that chemical phase, I think calling it the chemical phase does more of a justice to it because infatuation puts too many limitations on it. And again, each one of the three of us has our own specific, we we have our own subjective interpretation of what reality is. Obviously we're going to have our own subjective experience when it comes to love too. Mm -hmm. Uh, Fundamentally, dude, I, I honest to God, the, the amount of work that I've done and how guarded that I typically am, has largely prevented me from experiencing the dictionary definition of infatuation. However, really? it has, yeah, I, I just don't, I don't look at human beings. I, I think objectification goes along with it. You put people on a pedestal, you let the, the, the bulls just run. Whereas I'm guarded, I get to know somebody, and then I hit a certain point where I allow myself, mm-hmm. I allow myself to place, you know, that piece of me in that individual. And once I've done that, then I kind of just let it, let it go. You know, the, the, the euphoric feeling that's associated with it. Again, you got to check it. You got to check it every step of the way and you can't put somebody on a fucking pedestal. But I think that that has been, that's been an intrinsic part of any long-term relationship I've had is building a friendship then the physical element kicks in. Once the physical element kicks in, you've already got a friendship established. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, that could, that can complicate things again. If it's, if that friendship was established on the basis of damn near entirely platonic grounds, and then you jump into something romantic and then the euphoria wears off, it could compromise there might not be anything left because all that it was built on and predicated on was a platonic relationship that turned physical. Mm. So I, again, I'm kind of peculiar. I'm an all or nothing kind of motherfucker. So like I'll spend time, you know, I've spent time with women and been friends with them, um, been attracted, been attracted to them, but never, I, I don't, I, I'm so internal and I'm, I'm holding on to so many pieces of who the fuck I am in the situation that infatuation doesn't even come into the scene. Now I, I developed this real strong rapport, friendship, admiration, appreciation for this one person and they become my focus. Everybody else, you know, any other women fall by the wayside. That's when what would conventionally be considered the drug. That's when I allow that shit to fucking flourish. But there's a lot of work that needs to be done on top of that shit as well. And um, I I do, you know, my mom always told me, she was like, Chris, the, you know, passion fades. You got to find somebody that, that you get along with, that you that you like. And, and I mean, she's, I'm sure, jaded by stuff. Yeah. But uh, basically the inference is that she got with my father and it was predicated on that. And it just didn't fucking work out. It clouded her judgment, whatever. But I think that it's it's part of my formula. Um, and, you know, I you still run into fucking issues. But but love, 
Love as a broad definition encompasses things like the chemical component, the chemical component placed upon a framework of communication. So everybody understands, okay, I want this. These are my boundaries. This is unacceptable to me. This is where I want to go. This is who I want to be. Clear communication built off of that and the mutual facilitation, respect, and appreciation. And again, it's the, it's the fact that you real love, the closest thing I can encapsulate to real love tragically comes from, you know, you, (laughs) you don't really even realize that you truly love somebody until they're no longer around. And you realize that, um, it's okay to still love that person, still, still have those feelings for that person and let them free and let them be and leave them alone and, and let them have their fucking life. Hmm. And, and, you, and I don't think, and again, I don't think it's all or nothing. Like I've, I've loved, like genuinely loved a couple of women in my life mm-hmm. and that shit you know, as part of like getting over a relationship or whatever, people have different ways of going about it. Sometimes relationships in poorly, incompatibility is part of it. You want to blame the other person, but if you want to be really fucking mature or as mature as possible, in my opinion, you have to set yourself up for experiencing some, some beautiful fucking pain. And part of that beautiful pain again is acknowledging like you don't belong to me, mm-hmm. but I still love you and I can love you from a distance across time, space, whatever, even if you're not in my proximity, even if I don't see you again. Mark, I think you like you, I heard your voice come in there. I feel like there's something that you want to say there when he said that you don't belong to me. You and I have talked about this back when I was a kid, you know? Yeah. And can you, can you sort of like expand upon that, that topic of like ownership that kind of gets, thrown in with love irresponsibly. Yeah, I definitely have uh, I've always, at least since my adult life, been one that that sort of un- understands or believes, if you will, that love, you know, love doesn't ask anything and that, you know, it's not it's not possession. Right. And um, and I've definitely had that um, experience of letting go of a, a person, mm-hmm. something and realizing even more, you know, how much you, um, yeah, you love, love them. them. Yeah, in fact, the, in fact, like the ones, the situations where I haven't wanted to let go or, or uh, haven't or haven't um, didn't feel right letting go, those were those situations. Like on the deep inside, I knew it wasn't really love anyway. You know, yeah, yeah. It's amazing how much energy can be there and how much uh, that bullshit can sustain. Yeah, and how long it can carry on. You know, but um, every time, if I'm honest, every time, uh, I knew, yeah, this is just this is just passion. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It, it, even if it lasts a really long time, because the I've had, I've been lucky to have some really amazing love relationships or love affairs, whatever the fuck you want to call it um, all of my life. And I still feel that way about all those people, you know? Well, okay. So I want to say this then I think that it is hard to fully let someone go. If un- unless you are, fully whole yourself. Like, I kind of think that that feeling of being like, well, I love them. And, you know, even though they're not there and all this other shit, like, I feel like the only way to get that kind of mindset or to get to, to feel like that 
is if you yourself are whole. Because I think where a lot of people get themselves into trouble when they get into relationships or when they feel that they're in love is that they use that person to fill something that's missing for them. Mm-hmm. Use. Use. They, they, yeah. They use. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what it kind of comes down to. That's the key fucking word. You use another human being. Yeah. So it's like some people get used to get ahead in their life or something like that. You know, some people get used for one benefit or another. And well, go ahead. And I think and, that when and, you, when they've satisfied that use of you or, or, or something like that, or when you've satisfied that use of them, typically it means you've gotten whatever you've wanted. You feel whole and satisfied in that part. And you're like, okay, I can be fine with them going away or something like that. Maybe I'm a little bit jaded right now, but I just want to feel you guys you de- out about that. No, you, de- you definitely are jaded right now. And it's good. Like I told you, it's just going to fluctuate. I mean, if it, it, it's still fluctuating with me to a degree, but. I, you know, I reached an impasse, uh, and, and to, to be quite honest with you, driving for 20 hours in a 24 hour period, um, that was such an experience, not just the drive, but the fact that, you know, I'm, I'm here, I'm, I'm alone. I'm, I'm capable of sitting down and reflecting or meditating on my fucking thoughts as much as I want to, you know, I work mm-hmm. from home and shit. But not until I got in a vehicle where it's only me paying attention to driving and my thoughts and then every goddamn song on the radio that potentially reminds you of somebody. Mm-hmm. Do you are you really forced to face and walk your way through some shit? Because I can sit here at the house, have Netflix running, fuck around on my phone, play with my dogs, let them flit around, go outside, go let. I mean, any number of fucking things, and I won't even call them distractions because it's not a deliberate thing. It's not like I'm like, God damn, I miss her. I need to fill this hole. But just just by nature of our day to day, our normal day to day for any of the three of us is not really super conducive to us sitting down and doing the work that's associated with, okay, unpacking and then as nobly as possible, throwing the peace sign on some shit. Mm-hmm. But, you know, whenever you're talking about um, using someone, like the, the, the infatuation element, that you're using somebody to fill a hole, I think that that almost, that's where you put people on the pedestal. Yeah. I think that's, that's the key with our working definition of infatuation or use like a drug is okay. In order for you to take and take and take, because if you're using somebody to fill a hole and you're not a terrible human being, you know, you're not a fucking narcissist sociopath. And and again, not all narcissists are, you know, completely fucking evil either, but Anyway, you're using that person, that entity to fill that hole. So what is the reciprocal end of that? Nothing happens. It doesn't happen inside of a vacuum. There is a other side to it. And I think the other side of it is our usage of that individual leads us to be like, oh, well, and, and it's not even a conscious fucking thing leads us to place them on a pedestal. 
And we're talking again, we're talking about infatuation. We're not talking about situations where people are just like have no love for somebody. and They just use them for a place to live and money and things like that. Or we're not talking about that. And, and again, you get into some gray areas with that shit too. Sure. Things aren't necessarily mutually exclusive, but I think a fucking canary in the coal mine, like you said, if you're not whole and you take on someone else, if you bring somebody else into the scenario, even if you were whole and they would be your ideal match, otherwise you're going to fuck it up because yeah, you are true. going to use them. You're going to use them to fill that fucking hole. You're going to objectify them, whether you mean to or not. And you're probably going to place them on some kind of fucking pedestal. And it's going to, it's going to manifest itself as some kind of twisted version of what you feel is love. Yeah. And then, and then on top of that, it becomes, there becomes an inventory. There becomes a return on investment element where you're looking at it like, well, I've done all these things for this person and mm-hmm. I expected so much from this person. And then this person didn't behave the way that I expected. Yeah. An autonomous individual that I have no fucking control over yeah. to behave. It's that acceptance versus expectation shit as yeah. well. Yeah. That's, and that's something that I've said throughout, you know, my situation, just like my level or the things that I accept versus what I'll, what I expect has drastically changed. And, uh, I mean, you're, you're 1000% right. I think that that does get people into a lot of trouble. Um, and, and it, it's, it's certainly not just me. I think that works and it's both people in the relationship. And I think that when it's right, you, you have like the expectations and levels of acceptance are more of yourself and less of that person. You're right. Just like we both exactly said, right. like if it's right, you expect nothing of them, but it's hard to, to not have expectations when you are not with an equal. And, and I think that in my head, at least the only time that I can expect nothing from someone is when I feel that we are on the same plane. You make an excellent point. He he makes an excellent. Well, and and can I, I, and I don't want to speak for Kalu, Mm -hmm. but, um, I, I'll say in my situation, um, and, and Kalu has spoken to me, me and Kalu have had, you know, and I'm not really one to talk about my problems a super whole fucking lot. Kalu has a, a knack for being like, motherfucker, come on, level with me about some shit. Yeah. It's um, things like, were you trying to save her? Yeah. How can you, how can you show somebody, how can you be an equal with somebody that you're actively you're trying, trying to, to fix no. or, or save or, or mold or, guide out of the woods like you see the potential in them and you love them you love them and you may even love them even more for the ideal or potential that you see in them but that's not fucking fair that's your ideals superimposed on another fucking person Mm -hmm. even if they're a turd even if they're doing douchebaggy shit and they're living in their own little contrived reality that's self-centered as fuck Mm-hmm. It still doesn't recuse us of, you know, say, saying somebody's not an equal in a situation. It's it's and there are times in a relationship where somebody is going to be stronger than somebody else. And yes. you have and, and you have to step up and there has to be a reciprocal element to it. But when you enter into a relationship 
and you are whole or you feel like prior to the relationship, like you're relatively self-actualized. Mm-hmm. And then this person comes in and you allow this person into your existence, which is a difficult fucking thing because you have to make compromises. You've created this reality for yourself and you make compromises. You interact with that person and you see that they're struggling in terms of X, Y, and fucking Z. Yeah. You, see, you see that they're struggling. And it's it's in your nature. It's in our nature as fixers. Kalu's a fucking Mm -hmm. fixer. I'm a fucking fixer to want to be like, okay, I see this problem, this problem, this problem. How do I go about facilitating this individual to get them out of the weeds on this shit? And in reality, like even me having worked in, in, you know, clinical mental health for as long as I have, it really takes realization, acknowledgement, and desire on the part of the other party for any meaningful shit to get done because otherwise it's it, it's going to turn into control. Mm-hmm. Whether you want it to or not. Whether, whether it's, you well, want it to or not, it yeah, does what, turn into control. Absolutely. Well, You can have control that is the most well-intentioned fucking control yes. in the world. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's 1,000% why I say like I've, I've learned my lesson. You know what I'm saying? Like I cannot be with a person who I do not see as like, and of course you're not going to see that when you're in it. Do you know what I'm saying? Right. You're, you're, you're just going to have to look you, at like you just where feel you're like, you're fighting, you're just yeah. fighting for it. You're like, God yeah. damn, I love this person and I'm willing to endure. Yeah. And, and invest. Yes. And I think like I no longer want to, invest in a person in that sense. I would, I feel that I can be better for people when I invest deeper into myself because I do feel that, you know, like what I, it's kind of like garbage in garbage out. You know what I'm saying? If you're investing, if you're putting good shit in mainly into yourself, then you will, your output would also be good stuff. But if you feel like you're investing in for something that's not you, then no matter how noble the cause is, it will come back to bite you and you'll find yourself being like, what the fuck am I doing? Do you know what I mean? Oh yeah. Um, and so it's, it's certainly given me a whole lot to, to think about, but I want to keep this all under one hour. And so, you know, I want to give, you know, our listeners a, just a closing message. So if, if you guys can just get, tell me something about love versus infatuation that we can end this with, I think I would really appreciate that. So let's start with let's start with you, Mark. Wait a second. Say that again. So I want to <laughs> I want to leave people with a message about love versus infatuation. And um, because I've certainly learned a lot from just this talk with you guys. So is there something that you can leave our listeners with, with when it comes to like knowing the difference and all that kind of stuff? Yeah. Don't save her. She don't want to be safe. <laughs> don't save her. She don't want to be It's safe. true. It's goddamn true. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's 100% true. What about you, Chris? Um, again, it's a, it's a difficult thing. When you, when you encounter that person that's got your number, so to speak, mm-hmm. um, that's got, you know, the checklist of qualities that you 
that are fundamental that you desire in your ideal human being. <clears throat> but there's some, some profound fucking issues and deficits and things that, you know, you gloss over and mm-hmm. you kind of, uh, you let things teeter on the edge of oblivion for however long, because goddamn the, the drug is there. The yeah. comfort of that person being in proximity, being accessible, whatever clouds the fact that you all might have entirely different um, lots in life or goals mm-hmm. in life. Yeah, I think the the biggest thing to recognize is the the feeling that you're experiencing that that strong euphoria to not allow that to fall into some kind of bullshit narrative that gets out of your control. Always yeah. hold always hold on to your personal efficacy when it comes to this kind of shit as best as you can. Mm-hmm. You can't help but lose yourself to a degree. Yeah. Um, there is some reckless abandon that's associated with with great acts. Great endeavors mm-hmm. require risk. Yes. But I think acknowledging that it is a drug that you're experiencing, that chemistry you know, is not a replacement for fundamental incompatibility. We also need to check ourselves and make sure we're not objectifying the other individual, that we're treating Mm -hmm. the other individual as an autonomous entity with their own needs, thoughts, desires, whatever, that may be incongruent with yours. And no amount of love and investment can change that without a desire and acknowledgement on the other person's end. Mm-hmm. So, so love to, to, to wrap it up on my end, love is the, and I don't want to say unconditional, but within reason, unconditional mm-hmm. appreciation, admiration, attachment to another being devoid of the fact of what they can fucking do for you. Yes. I think that's perfect, man. I think that really is perfect. I think for, for me, my um, my last statement or closing statement, if you will, is that you do have to recognize that that everything is chemicals. We've talked about this in multiple episodes. Dr. Dye was the one that really introduced that to us, you know, um, you know, chemicals and context, like understand what's happening in your life outside of that very situation, because if it becomes if you start to border on infatuation, the drug will take over. You do lose situational awareness. And while it feels goddamn incredible for that short amount of time, that's the key word there. It's, it's a short amount of time. It's not something that will last. And I think that the moment that you come to your senses, um, you'll realize that you might have done things or said things or whatever that are completely out of character. And I think that when you find a love there, there is a level of responsibility. You have, you do have your wits about you. You're going to be cautious. You're going to be somewhat calculated and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. In fact, that, in fact, you should be that way. Um, because this is, this is your life. This is your body. This is so many other things that you're, that you're taking into consideration when you give that to someone and, you know, you've got to understand and they have to understand how important whatever it is you're giving to them is. And I think that the right person will have that awareness and will take care of that. But when you are infatuated, none of that shit matters. So it's good to be able to know the difference whenever you are into something with someone. So and, with and, the, and can I say one more thing? Real yeah, absolutely. Quick? A, a, a very important thing 
and I'm not saying you, you absolutely in order to have a conventional and we're we're talking about about a very limited relationship paradigm. I'm I'm a monogamy kind of guy if I'm in a relationship. I, it, it just doesn't appeal to me like that the notion of polyamory and all this shit. Like I just want that one partner in crime. Mm-hmm. If I'm in a monogamous relationship, you know, I'm not like jumping from long-term relationship to long-term fucking relationship or anything, but um I think that you know, whenever we're we're talking about love or genuine appreciation for you know a, a, an individual and the time frame that's associated with it short term no shit could mean a couple of years yep and um we we have to be very careful um because you know again it, this is dangerous ground there's enormous subjectivity with all of this shit but mm-hmm. but another key thing on top of you know checking your bullshit, don't make them an object, all of this kind of stuff is yeah have a partner in crime that's willing to communicate with you and help you unpack your shit, mm-hmm. but you cannot impose, expect, or make another individual pay for the misdeeds of a previous oh my individual. God, yes, yeah. And that's that hard. Is the biggest that thing, is a dude. that is a fucking enormous task for yeah. most all people because I tell you what, hurt people hurt people, and yep. they, and you and they feel fucking justified in it. So the more banged up that somebody has been in relationships past, the greater the proclivity for them to in some way manifest maladaptive behavior towards that new individual that's reflective of the trauma that was inflicted upon them. Mm-hmm. Hundred percent, dude. Oh, well, I hope you guys found value in this episode. You know, like I said, I tried to keep it under an hour, but we didn't. But it's still well. It's it's good content. It really is good content. So I want to thank you guys for taking the time to to listen here. Um, I, do we have any Do we have any sort of shameless shout outs before we jump off? Um, always got to give a shameless shout out to our boy Tyler Young at Grade Eight Performance. Um, you know he's still kicking ass i think he's got a pretty full load when it comes to uh online clients and in-person clients but if he has a spot open up and you're interested in being a better human being physiologically and psychologically hit him up he's a he's a great coach and then also uh shameless shout out to our own little hustle uh raw power moving service Mm -hmm. you know if you need something heavy moved you need your your totality of your house move you mm-hmm. got questions hit us up we're on facebook um let let us move you yeah uh i'd like to give a shout out to my uh to my mom she had just had uh, some stomach surgery and uh she's she's in recovery and everything like that so wishing her a, a well you know and speedy recovery and uh yeah i love you mom and uh mark do you have any sort of shameless shout outs or anything like that uh no shameless shout outs today Okay, that sounds good. Well, once again, guys, if you uh, want to hear more of this content, follow us on Instagram. That's at the Salumas Podcast. If you want to check us out on Facebook, you can type up the Salumist on there. Go to our website. That's www.thesalumist.com. And if you want to just listen on the web player right there, you can just add slash podcast. And then you can see all of our different episodes that we've had. I want to thank you guys again 
for your time and attention. I am going to be releasing some more shorts during out during the week. So stay tuned for all that stuff. And yeah, that's it, guys. We are out. Peace. <laughs>